The Trek Geeks Podcast Network is proud to have Fansets as its presenting sponsor. Fansets is the place for amazing pin collectibles with over 300 officially licensed Star Trek pins and new releases every month. Stay tuned for a special discount code good on your next order at fansets.com just for Trek Geeks listeners. Fansets. Our pins have character. This episode is also sponsored by Science Division, the makers of the galaxy's first interactive Tribble that you can control with your very own smartphone. Find out more about this amazing collectible and sign up for their mailing list for special offers at sciencediv.com. Science Division. Trouble's never been this fun. Hi, this is Nana Visitor, Major Kira Norris from Deep Space Nine, and you are listening to the biggest little show this side of the Gamma Quadrant, the Trek Geeks Podcast with Bill Smith and Dan Davidson. the archive division at pod fleet command way way down in the basement like 63rd level of the sub basement of of the sub basement of the tertiary basement it's the biggest little show this side of the alpha quadrant and the flagship of the trek geeks podcast network greetings to you ladies gentlemen children of all ages and welcome to fenway uh the trek geeks podcast (laughs) i'm your co-host bill smith and it's so great to have you all here today for episode number 253 we got a great one on tap today, and uh, I think we're all watching a whole lot of Trek lately, more about that, but we're going to come up with some different ways to watch it. Of course, by we, I do me and my co-host and I, if I were going to give him a mixtape, it would be filled with nothing but white noise, in the hopes that it might drown him out while he speaks. Hmm. Yeah, he's the eardrum-piercing Dan Davidson, and Dan... Welcome aboard, buddy. Hey, thanks. You know, I would love for that type of mixtape. You know why? Because I like that type of white noise for when I go to sleep. So basically, you play it, I'll fall asleep, and people won't even have to listen to me or try to listen to me or have me drowned out by white noise. So there you go. Win-win everywhere. How is that really different from every other week you're on the podcast? (laughs) Wow. Anyway. (laughs) we got a great topic on board today, buddy, and a great friend to, uh, to help us get it done. Yeah, we absolutely do. As you said just a moment ago, uh, with the pandemic, um, seems that we have opportunities to watch even more Star Trek if we wanted to. And and we decided, you know, back in the early days of of cassette tapes, we would put together our favorite, you know, bunches of music to to have just you know however we wanted. And you know, as as everybody knows, they were called mixtapes. So why not make some Star Trek mixtapes and have some type of theme that we could have and, and, and watch Star Trek that way instead of just from beginning to end in order. Let's mix it up a little bit. Mixtape. Get it? I get it. Do you get it? Got I it. I hope so. All right. Right. Good. Check. Good. Check. Um, and, and, you know, just listening to the two of us talk about mixtape is, is amazing in and of itself, I would think. But it's even better 
when you have somebody like the one and only Barry DeFord from Politrex to join us and, and from Picard Live to join us and give us his mixtape. So you know what, Bill? We're going to do that. We're going to do that right here in this episode. It's awesome. That's a great idea. I'm glad you thought of it. Um, <laughs> you know, so many people have been just doing watch throughs of various series and, and we've done it. Yeah. You know, we've spent time watching Trek during this pandemic and, you know, it's, it's nice to do some themes. It's nice to do some, some types of topics that maybe we wouldn't do otherwise. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it should be a great discussion later on, but first, first, perhaps you'd regale our listeners with the ways they might get us the track lists for their Star Trek mixtapes. I want all kinds of mixtapes because I never gave them to my friends when I was younger. So I want to get them from friends, even though I only have like one. Um, there's a whole bunch of ways that people can get in touch with us. You can uh, go to trekgeeks.com slash contact. You can send us an email through there. You can voice, they send us a voicemail. You can chat with us. You can tweet at us. You can also go to the official official Facebook group on the Trek of the holy crap holy. That is just horrible. I haven't screwed up this bad in a long time. Uh, You can go to the official Facebook group of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network over on Facebook. It's called Camp Kittimer. It is the most positive Trek group on Facebook. We don't allow trolling. We don't allow gatekeeping in any way, shape, or form. We only celebrate what people love about Star Trek. So just search for Camp Kittimer when you're on Facebook. We'll let you right in. And we also want to thank our wonderful admins, Haley, Jackie, and Fark for the amazing job they do running the camp. But uh, it's very important, Bill. Put your fingers down. I got to talk to you about something really quick here. Uh, You need to please remember that any comments or messages that you leave us in any of these places may be used in a future episode. Bill, you're muted, dummy. (laughs) I stopped what I was doing for that. Sorry, I, was doing I wanted you to stop because you almost made me laugh, but I I looked away. <laughs> I was doing the samba with my middle fingers in the air just for you. <laughs> I appreciate that. That's great. Don't say I'm not a giver. Yeah, I won't. Dan, as always, we want to thank our friends at Fansets for being the presenting sponsor of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. It doesn't matter if you love Star Trek, Harry Potter, Scooby-Doo, DC Comics, or even Batman 66. They have a set of pins just for you. Yeah, they certainly do, man. And even a late winter blizzard can't stop the the people at Fansets from releasing the latest batch of pins uh, for everyone to add to their collections. You DC fans will love the new releases of Black Adam. Karate Kid and John Constantine, while those waiting for the latest in the Bombshell collection can now add Raven and Peyton Parks as the Black Knight to their pin folios. And of course, you Star Trek fans have several new pins available, including Michael Burnham and Soji Asha from the Women of Trek collection, and the final two episodic pins from season one of Picard, episodes nine and ten, at N Arcadia Ego, parts one and two. So head on over to their site, put a, just put a metric ton of pins and other stuff in your cart and at checkout, be sure to enter this week's Trek Geeks special discount code word, Mixtape. That's M-I-X-T-A-P-E in all capital letters with no spaces for an amazing 10% off your entire order. Now, this offer is going to be good until March 24th, 2021 at 11.59 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Plus, I mean, don't forget, when you spend more than 30 bucks at fansets.com, you are automatically going to get free shipping in the United States. 
Fansets. Our pins have character. And we thank our friends at Fansets for being the presenting sponsor of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. Friends, as many of you know, Science Division has been a great supporter of Trek Geeks, and Jay and Kalia have become really dear friends of ours. They have a fantastic small business, and like many others, they've been affected by the economic conditions during the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, as a result, Science Division has entered into the FedEx Small Business Grant Contest, which is a grant program by FedEx to award 12 U.S.-based small businesses with grants up to $50,000 and up to $7,500 in FedEx office print and business services. So we hope you'll consider helping them win this grant by going to sciencediv.com slash vote today and voting for them in the contest. Now, you can actually vote once every 24 hours, so any help you can provide between now and the end of the contest would be greatly appreciated. And of course, don't forget that you can pick up the Galaxy's first interactive Tribble right now on their website. So after you go vote for them in the FedEx Grant Contest, head on over to their shop and adopt a Tribble for your very own. And you're going to want one because naturally, Tribbles are not dangerous. You thought I was going to forget about that today, didn't you, buddy? Just go vote already, okay? <laughs> Science Division. Trouble's never been this fun, and we thank our friends at Science Division for sponsoring this week's episode. Well, Dan... You know, since the dawn of recorded audio, people have put together mixes of their favorite tracks to give to other people. I mean, you can call it a rite of passage. You can call it a gift. You you call it what you want to, but it's an extension of our fandoms of things and and, and the stuff we kind of hold dear personally. And that's kind of what we're going to do today with some some themed rewatches of Star Trek. Yes, yes. Taking this concept and just calling it mixtapes, because really it's just an assemblage of tracks. I like it. And joining us is is the third Trek Geek. Unbelievable. It's been so long since we have sat here together, the three of us, even though it's virtually. It's been way too long since it's been in person. It was too two STLVs ago because the last one didn't even happen. So does that make it only one STLV and not two? Kind of does. I don't know, yeah. but that's okay. Neither here nor there. This is hard. But you know what? You, you heard him. You saw him with Picard live with Picard season one. You hear his mellifluous tones on Politrex and you will hear him on discovering Trek Picard when season two airs. He is the lovely, the talented, and the just amazing human being, Barry DeFord. Barry, welcome back to Trek Geeks, my friend, the podcast, not the network, because you're already part of the network. Yes. Well, thank you so much. And is this actually my first show uh, on Trek Geeks? I've never been. I think I've been only discovered. I've hosted... You hosted the 200th episode of Trek Geeks. That counts. I guess that does count, but I've Mm -hmm. never been a guest. Okay. Well, uh, guess what? You're not a guest now either. You're a third host, so you're not yeah. a guest either. You're never going to give me the honor of being a guest on Trek Geeks. Thanks. <laughs> Fine. You know what? This is Barry DeFord, host of Trek Geeks, welcoming Bill and Dan <laughs> to Trek Geeks. And this go. is an episode that I am now in control of because I have willed it so. You're officially employee number three at Coconut MediaWorks, oh. with us being one and two. So 
Um, it's like you're the guy who sold his shares and left Wozniak <laughs> and Jobs to run Apple. I'm the bronze medal. <laughs> um, uh, you are the 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 bodacious and often loquacious Barry DeFord, and we are so thrilled that you were here with us. How, how are you doing up there in Canada? Oh, boy, howdy, has it been a time. So um, sadly, a sad note, uh, around the time uh, Shashank and I were uh, interviewing uh, the wonderful Amrit Kar, uh, my brother sadly passed away, and I stepped away for a little while and was just kind of getting my feet back under me and all this sort of stuff. And then the pandemic hit, which was yeah. uh, very altering for a lot of reasons. I um, work in education and the number one priority in my life is the children who I am given the trust of care of must be ultimately safe under me, um, mm -hmm. uh, on my watch kind of thing. And so that became just too much of a priority, uh, in that respect. It's, uh, there, there's something about deservedly. So, Absolutely. so it's really been difficult to, uh, to get, to get uh, things back up and running uh just re regards to podcasting and stuff like that but uh i've been quite busy uh, in a lot of other very meaningful things in the meantime not just helping kiddos out spending time with uh with my partner and my dogs and and all that sort of stuff so i'm doing good i'm doing well and uh there have been times i've not been okay but it has been wonderful that i've had the two of you to chat with uh from time to time too so no it's good to be uh it's good to be kind of making my way back uh, a little bit on my own terms well, and we are more than excited to have you here. You look fantastic, despite what Dan says. And um, we're looking forward wow. to a great discussion here. So I have a question to start off with both of you. And Barry, we'll, we'll go first. Um, did you, did either of you ever make mixtapes among your friends? And were they themed? Or, or was that a big thing for you? Of course, now today it's like Spotify playlists. But uh, <laughs> what about back in the old days? Yeah, I, um, that was sort of my thing, actually. Uh, I would make radio shows with my friends back in the day where we would take a, um, like just a tape recorder, this old one from my grandparents' house. And, um, we would do amazing episodes and shows like, uh, named like My Dinner with a Yeti, um, or <laughs> 911 Emergency, where a person is running from a killer in their house and the 911 operators, um, start like just having their own conversation about something else. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, and then we would intersperse that with music sometimes. Sometimes it would be us just doing stupid acapella versions of a song, and that would really annoy people. And then I went to a performing and visual arts school where um, I got to use like four track recorders back in the day and stuff. And so music nice. was just always sort of a thing. So I'd be that kind of guy who would wait on the radio station for, for the, uh, for the song to come on. And then I would try to record it and try to catch it right before the commercial or right after. And then I'd like lose my mind. If the DJ started coming in and be like, that was blah, blah, blah from blah, blah, blah. Let's talk to Jimmy in traffic. And I'm like, I didn't need to hear that <laughs> when I'm trying to like catch the end of what's the frequency Kenneth. And it's like, no, I don't need someone else talking at me about it. So yeah, no, that was hundred percent my thing. I, I loved making mixtapes. Dan, as a former attendee of the Connecticut School of Broadcasting, mm. I have to imagine that you have made your own mixtape, perhaps with DJ voiceover. Um, surprisingly, I did not make mixtapes for other people. 
to share with friends. Okay. I would always do my own. And I, and I, I will say that when I was much younger, we would do like variety shows on tape. Uh, my sister, my brother and I, and I'd have the microphone and I'd be like the host of like the gong show or something like that. And we do something like that, but it wasn't really a mixtape, but in terms of making mixtapes, there were always ones that I put together for myself to listen when I was going on road trips. And of course, yes, you can say, yeah, I know what you're going to say now, Bill, who would it be that maybe might be in those mixtapes? Correct. Michael Jackson, Britney Spears, all those bands and groups and, and wait, singers wait, wait. that I liked. <laughs> Britney Spears, that's the mid 90s. You're in your 30s. Oh, yeah, but I used to drive from New Hampshire to Maine all the time, dude. And I still listen to that stuff. Hey, I'm, I, you know what? I may be 50 something, <laughs> but I will always be 20 years old. You'll always be n- in here. 15. Yeah, you'll be 15 <laughs> up there. That's right. Well, so I, have, I would have to say it, if you. Um, if if you liked Britney Spears or something like that, and and that was on a, on a mixtape at my school, um, <laughs> adding kind of pop songs and stuff like that was usually a way to embarrass a kid. But, yes, um, yeah. Well, no look doubt. At, look at me. I mean, it's embarrassing in itself, so it's, it's, that's okay. <laughs> your words, not ours. Um, I, I used to make a series of mixtapes with my buddies, uh, Mike Gagne and, and Chris Hill, called Assorted Mellow D, um, and it was volumes of just all mellow songs to help you just relax or maybe even sleep. I mean, it featured tracks from all kinds of people like Simon and Garfunkel, um, mm-hmm. Alan Parsons project, uh, bread, Billy Joel, you know, all that bread. sort of like that seventies soft rock. Mm. Um, it just, and it was, it was some Led Zeppelin, uh, you know, there like, you uh, like, uh, stairway to heaven. Mm-hmm. I mean, you want to zone out stairway <laughs> is not a bad way to go. It's like seven <laughs> minutes long. So, That's right. um, but, and that was kind of, kind of what, what we did. We each had, a volume that we we made for the other and of course then you dupe the tapes on super fast speed and it would sound all like dan when he's had coffee um <laughs> but I, but i think that people are doing this more and more now with star trek in particular these sort of themed rewatches because it it gives them a way to to look at the series differently so i did an informal poll on twitter today and the question was this, in the last year since the start of the global pandemic, do you find that you've been watching more Star Trek than you usually do, less, or about the same amount? And I was really kind of surprised at the outcome. Um, over 400 people have responded so far, almost wow. 450. And so far, uh, 52.6% of people have said that they're watching more Star Trek. Okay. 38.4% say that is roughly the same. Mm-hmm. Now, a little bit of math, which can be hard at times, especially for me, says that that's 91% of respondents are either watching the same or more Trek, with only 9% saying they're watching less. So uh, I've heard from a lot of people who started binges of the entire series and finished in the last year. Right. Like all 800 episodes. That's amazing. Um, but, you know, as, if you've watched this fandom for any given length of time, um, it can take a while to watch all this stuff. And sometimes you just want to watch stuff on a theme and that's what we're going to do today. In fact, I'm going to go first to kind of set an example. And, um, I hope you two enjoy what I put together. Dan, you look like you want yeah. to say something dumb. One of the things, no, actually this might be something intelligent and worthwhile, which is very rare. So everybody yeah. get your mixtape ready for a smart thing from Dan, because it's not going to be often. And um, record. <laughs> I find it interesting that we're doing this because if you think about it, 
the studios themselves have been doing this with Star Trek over the last 10 years. They'll start releasing for the money grab, probably most likely they'll release a box set of themed episodes, whether it's the Borg or something like that. So it's kind of cool that we're now doing that and we're not doing it for money. We're just doing it for fun. And recording. that's the thing. You know, we're going to, by the time we're done here, we're going to have four different mixtape lists of little mini marathons that people can do if they want to. I know I'm probably going to go through them. Mm-hmm. Um, because I could use a new way to watch some of these episodes. And and I'm going to start off with my first list, which I've named Vulcans or Jerks. <laughs> <laughs> and as you might guess, that could be the theme about Vulcans being jerks. I would think Not so. a lot of gray area there. I'm, I'm kind of wondering, there's probably going to be a lot of Enterprise in this list. <laughs> uh, there, there could very well be. <laughs> but I'm going to start it with a TOS episode. And Ooh. that's, of course, season two, episode 10, Journey to Babel. This is our introduction to the Sarek character, Spock's father, and, and their fractured relationship. And let's be honest, Sarek is not a nice guy in this. Yes, he's, he's very unsympathetic. Yes. I get it. He's not only unsympathetic, he's really not a great dad. Nope. And he's kind of a jerk to Spock. It doesn't help that Spock's kind of a jerk back, but Spock's our hero character. And, you know, he does the right thing at the end of the day. Of course, it being the original series, there's there's a raised eyebrow at the end because, of course, Vulcans don't laugh. Um, but it, it, it gets back on its way. So if I'm going to do a Vulcans or Jerks marathon, I've got to start off with Journey to Babel. And then I'm actually going to skip a good amount of chronology and I'm going to go straight to Deep Space Nine. And I'm going to go season seven, episode four. Oh, yeah. The only episode of Star Trek that Dan and I have watched in the same room in almost 30 years of friendship. Mm-hmm. Take me out to the hollow suite. Oh, yeah. Yep. Vulcans are that jerks. Vulcans are jerks. This episode has a Vulcan starship captain with a crew of Vulcans. And he's got a rivalry with Cisco about, of all things, it's not efficiency, it's not something scientific, it's baseball. How how outside the realm of possibility is this, that a Vulcan could fall in love with baseball? Yes, there's a geometry to it, there's math to it, I understand all of that. But this Vulcan needs to demonstrate his vast superiority. Right. And that's what makes him a huge jerk, Dan. Absolutely. I mean, and we talked about this when we did a deep dive on the entire episode that this is the purest definition of how we've talked about the the jerkiness, if that's the right way to say it, um, of Vulcans <laughs> that we've had in Enterprise over the years and how the and how I personally have felt that they were they were more emotional than they than they tend to think they are, especially in the early days of Enterprise. But then you go all the way to Deep Space Nine. This guy's just a a jerk. I, I mean, yeah. you could not have named this 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 category any better than you did, unless you named it, you know, Vulcans or Bill Smiths. But we won't get into that right now. I don't want. I don't want to do that. Um, but you're absolutely right, and it's a great example. And I love you for it, buddy. It would have been Vulcans or Dan's, if anything else, um, because I might have had to censor dicks. <laughs> and there's no one on this podcast named Richard. That's Barry. right. Absolutely. Barry, yeah. why don't you uh, chime in now, please? Yeah. yeah. Feel free to chime in, Barry. Well, this I, is a great I, episode, isn't it? It's actually just, it's fun being this close to the splash zone. There's there's fur on me at this point. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know what's happening. But no, absolutely. So 
I often like to think of take me out to the hollow suite as the way I play baseball, where I'm just really out to have a really good time and rib my friends and, and not take things seriously. And, and I think that obviously, you know, is the moral of the story and stuff like that. But for a Vulcan to have such an obsession, it's right. Like they are so incredibly emotional in their unemotion. You know, it's that, it's yeah. that idea of like, I feel like they're a society that sort of stared right at the accident and drove into it, but like in a way that, that I don't even think they can conceive. So yeah, no Vulcans being jerks is, is a common thing. And I think ultimately it's what makes Spock, um, have the conflict because humans are jerks, but in a very different way and, mm -hmm. and, and are more emotional jerks in the sense that we, we have these, these outbursts and stuff like that. Whereas I just think what it really boils down to is, um, the fragile ego of the Vulcan, I think is the biggest piece yeah. of it is that is it's Absolutely. actually, it's an ego thing. Like I hate to put Freud into this, but yeah, like there's, there's definitely a, a deep well underneath the, uh, the ice or the water. Um, anyway, I'm, I'm mixing my analogies. So I'm going to throw it back to Dan. <laughs> no, don't do that. No, Nobody I'm throwing it right that. back oh, to Bill. I bounced right off him. <laughs> uh, Dan couldn't hit the bronze side of a barn with anything. So, um, <laughs> So then in my Vulcans are jerks mixtape, I'm going to go through my, my deep enterprise playlist. Dan, you were right. There's going to be a bunch of enterprise episodes on there. I think there's four or five. Um, but I have to start with the one that started enterprise and that's season one, episode one broken bow, right. where we learned that Vulcans ruin everything, including our desire to explore the galaxy. It, it sets a different tone for Vulcans. Now, like humans, um, they're less evolved for want of a better word. It's a hundred years before the time that, that we know in the original series. So I can understand that maybe they're not the same race that they are later on. I have a hard time believing that though, given the centuries of Vulcan history that they've grown to respect. Um, but I think that that is put no, uh, on no greater display than actually later in season one, episode 17 with the episode fusion, where we learn about mind melts and to Paul, Dan is essentially assaulted yes. by the rarely used Vulcan mind melt. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's interesting. I, I do like the fact that they kind of had a backstory for the mind melt and that it was one that wasn't too cheery. It wasn't a, a good thing. It was a complete yeah. invasion. Um, and it, it, you're absolutely right. I do find it extremely difficult to believe that the Vulcans of a hundred years from TOS in the past were that de-evolved for use of a better word than the thousands of centuries that they had been studying Serac and logic and everything like that, that they could be that pompous and then be not as bad in just a hundred years. That's one thing that always has kind of, I, I love enterprise. Don't get me wrong, but that's yep, one same. thing that's always yeah. bothered me a little bit about the depiction of Vulcans in the show. Barry, I'm guessing that doesn't necessarily work for you either. No. And I think what it boils down to is, uh, it's like that part of Vulcan culture, like if they were to analogize their, their philosophy to something that we would understand, it's like they stopped with Thomas Hobbes in that idea of sort of an ossified social structure and this, uh, it, it's a, it's a, um, it's a chauvinism, I think is what it really boils down to, yeah. um, that they have about themselves and their inhumanity is shown uh, in in the way that the the meld can be such a invasive and um, 
it's gross, I guess is, is yeah. a, it's gross what happens. And, and it's, it's a side of the Vulcans that I'm glad we got to see. And you're right. Now I need to watch these episodes again, Bill. So I know what right? I'm doing this weekend. <laughs> well, I'm going to do that right after I look up Calvin and Hobbes. Um, and then <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. On yeah. society there. Thanks for, for sharing that. Um, and then, you know, I have to put in a triple play because both of my playlists have a triple play. And in this one, if you're talking Vulcans, it has to be the Vulcan arc from season four, episode seven, eight, nine with the Forge Awakening and Kirshara, something that's yes. going to make Jim Morehouse very happy. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a fantastic examination of the Vulcan culture, the snobbery of the Vulcan high command, mm-hmm. and the terrorist Cyrenite Vulcans. You you get your own threefer there, Dan, um, with a bunch of jerks. It's just amazing to me that you look at um, this series, which we're celebrating the 20th anniversary of all year long. They had such amazing storylines in that final season that it's just a surprise that it it ended when it did. And these three episodes might be right up at the top for the entire season for that that view of Vulcan that we really have never seen. We get to see people that we have heard about and seen way in the future uh, with uh, um, uh, oh, I was gosh, just I'm thinking of her too. Mind, and I- blonde, that mind block. Uh, uh, T'Pau and Serac. T'Pau, thank you. T'Pau. I was, I was going to say to Pring, but I knew that that was Spock's fiance. Um, so yeah, we get to see all of that. And then we do get that, that terrorist, that terrorism aspect of the Vulcans is totally unexpected, uh, in, in my mind, at least. Um, and it makes them jerks. So it's another perfect example for your, uh, for your list there, buddy. And it draws yeah, a really yeah. good line to discovery with the logic extremists. Yeah, as well. It really does. Absolutely. It does. Yep. I was just going to bring that up. Sorry. Um, no, it's, Hey, th- this is a great discussion. And for once, somebody's bringing something to the table on this show. So you, <laughs> you feel free to, to chime right in. What do Calvin and Hobbes say about that? Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> gross. <laughs> That's Bloom County. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then if I'm going to round out my, my Vulcans or jerks playlist, I have to use bookends. I have to have a Sarek episode. And for that, I have to go to Star Trek discovery. Ooh. Season one, episode six, Lethe. Yes. Which is one of my favorite episodes of Discovery, written by two of my favorite Star Trek writers, Joe Minoski and my friend Ted Sullivan. Sarek literally chases Michael Burnham out of his mind, albeit for good reason. Mm-hmm. But uh, he, he, he essentially shows why he's just not a great dad with another kid, Barry. <laughs> Isn't two that two. the case, right? No, and, yeah. and I'm glad... Again, great minds, great minds think alike, right? Um, in the sense that I don't know if Dan would have ever been able to make the connection um, from Sarek in the TOS series. Did you know that that's the same character, Dan? Get out. Yeah. It's no, a different really, actor. get out. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I love both of them, by the in, way. Both in actors. The, actually, yeah, they both did a fantastic job. Yeah. Um, and... So yeah, back to, back to this idea of logic extremists. I do like that idea because when, when we're back to like the forge and and everything like that, so I have to quickly jump back to enterprise to get to where I am. Um, I love the immediate tension that it builds even into Paul's character, um, between her and Archer. It's a tension that you don't really see after the resolution that starts in broken bow in season one. Um, and it really does kind of come back hard in that period of time because i don't know if necessarily like obviously they had to end that series quickly 
I don't know if they wanted to necessarily leave things, you know, as I don't know. I don't I don't really feel like there was a lot of resolution at the end of uh, Enterprise. And I think maybe a lot of us feel that. But anyways, I think when I'm oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. go ahead. When we start thinking about the the logic extremists that Sarek is is fighting, I think it also shows the fact that all of this time we get this stiff upper lip from Vulcan that they have everything figured out, but it's that idea of like a mask we wear and, and all of these characters are just screaming inside and some of them kind of get the taste for it. And then they, they do start acting in this way of like logic extremists are basically the fascist form of Vulcanism or like the Vulcan culture in the sense that it is trying to violently uphold a status quo that ultimately is imaginary right it, it is it is it is a better time that never existed and and it's that that willingness to sacrifice themselves at all costs for an ideal that really will never see itself in reality because there is no real logic to the universe i don't think in that sense that like we will ever be able to understand with our puny brains or even a species similar to us that may be even a couple intelligence points on average higher than us Speaking of puny brains, top that, Dan. I, you expect me to top that? That's no. No, that's the thing. I don't. <laughs> not going to happen. Um, I do love your your choice of Lethe, though, man. I really yeah. got to say that's some that's some very emotional um, uh, Star Trek with those scenes uh, in his memory where he chose Spock to go to the Academy over Burnham and then lied about it pretty much um it it really shows another jerk aspect and i i i will say i do like how uh over the course of the of of the of the series they have uh mended their ways quite a bit um but at the beginning Sarek was just as as uh, uh a pia as a lot of the other vulcans that we've talked about in your mm-hmm. list so far absolutely and in defense of Sarek, i mean he does it to spare michael burnham's feelings mm-hmm he does something very human, um, which is not necessarily the Vulcan way. The argument could be made he's he's trying not to be a jerk, but he's being a jerk to not be one. Exactly. Um, and, and I get it. He does it out of uh, out of a love for Michael. It's not lost on me, but still, it, it still illustrates who Sarek is at the end of the day, or who a right. lot of Vulcans are at the end of the day. Absolutely. So that I think is he's my being first- pragmatic as well. I, I think he think I think he thinks he's being pragmatic. Pragmatic. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Dan, pragmatic is a word that means he's put a lot of thought into it. <laughs> oh, I th- okay. That yeah. was, uh, the, just telling me that was very pragmatic of you. No, it wasn't. It was dangerous. <laughs> it was pedantic. Um, yeah, very. <laughs> yeah. Say very. that again. <laughs> so, boys, that's my first Star Trek mixtape, Vulcans or Jerks, coming to you in stereo, both sides of a 90-minute of a cassette. Mm. <laughs> and um, I, I can't wait to hear what you guys have put together. Barreled, I guess we'll go with you. I haven't been called barrels since high school. That's amazing. Thank you for that. Well, we're doing mixtapes, so it makes we're sense, We're doing right? mixtapes. Well, yeah, no, I, I, that, that really was a call-out. Wow. Like four years ago. <laughs> <laughs> I'm... <laughs> Actually, it's the 20th anniversary. Shout out, Vic, uh, Vic wow. class of 20, uh, 2001. Yeah. My goodness. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, so um, I didn't, uh, Bill and I spoke about this just, just a few days ago, and this has sort of been floating around in my head um, for that period of time. And I wish I could have had more time to think of more um more series that I don't spend as much time in. And so this will definitely show my hand of where I usually go for my comfort food uh, is a nice way of putting it. Like we all watched a lot more Trek on average from the sounds of Bill's poll. 
I did too, but I like, I went for the pablum a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. Like I just redid the dominion arc. Cause I know mm-hmm. I, it, it gives Beautiful. me the tension. It relieves the tension. It leaves me with a satisfaction of, cause yeah, I mean, you can't find better television in my opinion, but I also am a little bit biased. So here we are. Um, <laughs> So I went for a lot of the pablum and I didn't really venture outside of that over the last little while going for my Star Trek comfort food. So this is me sort of cobbling something together that has actually now got me thinking about maybe looking more into it. And that's the concept of sentience and the care or um, consideration for species other, other than our own. And I'm not necessarily saying like Klingons to humans, because obviously when we think of Trek in itself, it's, it's actually, you know, these are all elements of the human condition that we are fighting and shooting photon torpedoes at and everything like that. Um, but how do we treat the animals that we encounter that appear to be sentient? So that's my mixtape and for my mixtapes. Yeah. And if I loved you and I was making a kiss, uh, a, a mixtape, <laughs> then you would have kiss from a rose by seal on it. That was always the secret. <laughs> So, uh. <laughs> oh man, from, from Batman forever. Yeah. Oh yeah. If, oh, if yeah. not for Spotify, I'd be having a blast right now. You wouldn't though. <laughs> <laughs> da- somebody mute Dan. <laughs> Where's the button? So yeah, that's, that's the question is, is what are the, what are the uh, episodes that talk about dealing with species other than our own that are sentient and how do we, how do we express that, that connection to them? So obviously if I go, semi chronologically my first stop stop um would be devil in the dark which actually if i think of the other oh, yeah. tos episodes it's not not at the beginning but devil in the dark really does sort of open up this this concept mm-hmm. of what truly is life and what truly is our conception of sentience itself right these miners Absolutely. are destroying a mine. Um, they're 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 completely changing and altering this environment. And the animal, the the creature, uh, the Horta, is is ultimately defending its young, which we would consider a very moral act and a good thing to do. Uh, it would be something that we would not um, ever fault, you know, a mother wolf defending her young kind of thing. Like she's doing what what she must, um, and so. I do really appreciate the the idea that it starts off as sort of another monster of the week episode and then it just takes an extreme like it pulls the e-brake and completely turns it around when Spock does the better version of the mind meld at the same time <laughs> to some degree there is an invasion that takes place in that respect more so than just its environment but the animal's mind itself so unfortunately it seems we humans and half humans can't ever interact with something without kind of destroying it but all he shouts is pain. And I remember thinking about that and, you know, Leonard Nimoy knew how to chew the scenery and he knew how to make it, make it, make it good. And he really gives it his all. And that's what I really appreciate about it because I don't think another person should have done that. I don't think William Shatner could have pulled off that kind of, um, emoting that, that was supposed to happen. Leonard Nimoy was, Mm -hmm. you know, he was the heart, right? We often think about like the Beatles or something like that. Um, Obviously, thinking about what what um, uh, Mission Log would say, he's he's the logos, right? But in this moment, he's sort of the the pathos um, in, in that respect because he takes on this other personality. It's a it's a touching episode. It's also my second favorite five year mission song. 
because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that that'll be okay with Fark. I'm yeah, sure. that's my, it's got to be my second favorite. But anyways, um, yeah. So going from there, where where would I take us next? But like, I, I think I think the voyage home is an important episode to consider as well. The fact Absolutely. that, yeah, that they, have to, nice. they have to save the whales um, uh, and whatnot. So what are we observing in that respect is, uh, you know, this other, this other sentient being comes from across the galaxy to check in on its buds and it's not us, right? It's like, where are my buds? And it's looking around and it's just, it, you know, it's like me looking through stuff in my office. I'm just throwing crap everywhere. And I mean, I'm destroying ecosystems and killing (laughs) things while I'm doing it, but I need to find my friends. Um, and where you at? Yeah. (laughs) And the amount of trouble that, that these the enterprise i guess on a klingon um a klingon starship uh, have to go through to to figure this out is um it, it's 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 mildly charming to me to some weird degree that like out of nowhere uh, this this alien species come imagine if that actually happened like right now and the aliens walk out of their ship and they're like ack, 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 and they're like we're greeting them and they just like push us aside and like go up to like some wallabies and are like just totally enamored with them and that's that's what they came for uh, and then when that's done they just leave and never return i don't know i'd feel kind of weird about that it's like it's like when you see someone waving at you and they're like running closer and closer and then run right past you uh, and hug the person behind you uh, or something like that It'd be, they'd be more like, where's Dan Davidson? Exactly. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, I, I would, I would, I would agree with that hundred percent, but I also like that Spock himself says it in, in the voyage home. He says only human arrogance yes. would assume that the signal is meant for man. And I yeah, think, absolutely. I think that's a great way to look at it, Barry. Absolutely. So yeah. as we sort of continue down my, my playlist, I want to actually bring up Spock again, and this is from 2009 Trek and, and it's a quick a quick um, definition of sentience. It's one that I've, I've always really liked it. it his, he's in that little bubble before he beats that kid up. Um, and it's asking him all these really big questions and it asks define sentience or what is, how can we define an act as sentience? And he says it, it can only be sentient if it's morally praiseworthy, but not morally obligatory. And I think that's a really important thing to consider. Um, and something really quick to consider about like people in your area, uh, right now, right? Everything's kind of difficult. And if you can help people meet their material needs, that is an act of sentience, right? It, you, yes. you have nothing but your humanity to give uh, and your time is is precious to people. So, you know, even if you find yourself able to buy like a gift card from like, a, uh, you guys would have like Dunkin' Donuts, right? Have Tim's or something. If you can even just buy a couple gift cards and hand them out to people you know might need it, uh, that can go a really long way. No. Anyway, that's my little, definitely can my yep. little my little plug for the time that is, and I think I I think I want to go to TNG's quality of life, nice because um, I'm going to leave the world of the animal for a second here mm-hmm. and go into this idea of artificial intelligence and how far away are we from being able to hurt a computer's feelings, right? And I think that's a question that that we do need to ask. And I find the the idea of of sentient artificial intelligence we typically refer to uh, that event would be called the singularity. Uh, I think is usually what people would would call it. And I like how the singularity in Star Trek The Next Generation are these adorable little Mystery Science Theater 3000 style puppet robots. (laughs) (laughs) 
like I do expected, I, I would have expected like Tom Servo to pop out and be like, well, he looks like a pretty interesting animal, but he's not quite as cool as me at the gumball machine. Um, but anyway, that's a, if anyone knows mystery science theater, then you've laughed. And Definitely. if you don't, then um, I don't know what to tell you. It's a funny show. <laughs> it's on Netflix. Yeah. You know, peanut hamper. So I'm curious, you guys obviously, you know, would have seen the episode in real time. Like I did when it actually uh, came out. Um, I didn't necessarily find the the special effects of the exocomp terribly believable to begin with, but I almost wonder if that was intentional to make them less sympathetic off the bat. What was your guys' reaction to that episode specifically? I was okay with it because to me it was no different really than Nomad and the Changeling from TOS. But really the the humanization of the exocomps really comes from data in that episode. You know, in TOS, Spock kind of performs that function with his mind meld. But in this one, data really has the 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 unenviable task of explaining why these beings are sentient and why they need to be defended. And I think it's through that that you get to realize that there really is something there. Brent Spiner really sells the hell out of it. And I think for me, that's why it works, Dan. I agree. I was, and that's what I was going to say. I said it's because of data, I think, that it's more believable. I agree with you, Barry. The, the special effects and the exocons themselves... Eh, doesn't hold up well over time in my in my mind. Nomad because more believable. data. I, I absolutely yeah. agree with that. I think Nomad is more believable. Back from the sixties, I think the fact that that Data had been deemed to be a sentient being himself really helped sell and wrap up the whole idea of that episode quality of life. If data wasn't part of that, I don't think it, I really don't think it would have worked at all because I don't think there was anybody on the enterprise D that could have done what data did or what Spock did in TOS. Yeah, absolutely. And so kind of carrying on from that and, and, and Bill kind of caught that. And then you actually caught something later too. Um, yeah. V'ger and Nomad. I kind of, kind of put them together because the the yeah. motion picture is sort of maybe partially derived from that which i think is great um but yeah like are they you know really what they're trying to do is discover what they are right they have they have turned inward and are able to sort of contemplate themselves and i think that is the other piece of what uh sentience is right something that is morally uh doing something that is sentient is to be able to do something that is morally praiseworthy but not morally obligatory and therefore that has to make sure that you understand that if someone did that for you it would be something you would feel and, and enjoy and i think in that sense of viger trying to figure out who and what it is so that's my next episode is watch the motion picture right Watch yeah. the voyage home as well. I'd mentioned earlier. So you've got some long episodes ahead of you, but uh, we all, we <laughs> all got time. It's yeah. Star Trek. Yeah, we do. <laughs> I find nomads fascinating too. And I, I, I put change the changeling in that also. Uh, I think it's a, uh, I think it's a, a good episode to bring in as well in the sense that, um, the way they have to convince it, um, isn't a way that human beings would necessarily understand. Like you can, you can tell that this thing doesn't have human rationalization of things. Like obviously when it like kills Scotty <laughs> and, and, and does it doesn't really comprehend what on earth Ohura do, is doing by singing and stuff like that, but it still has a sentience. It still has an intelligence. And I think that's important to consider as we move into my next one, which is galaxy's child. Nice. Yeah, we got the uh, the weird looking. I don't know the 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 space whale space whale. Some have said, but I think that's gone to the the gorm, gorm, gormagander. 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 
yeah, which isn't the same thing. Um, but uh, I don't know. I find the the animal in Galaxy's Child is kind of like a cross between a stingray and ravioli, sort of. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Good for me. I'd hate to, hate to see the antacid you need for that. <laughs> yeah, right. Chef Boyardee in space. Um, but yeah, like I, I do also like and appreciate the idea that these animals aren't necessarily like they sort of come off as having a very, you know, whale like charm to them or elephant like charm mm -hmm. in the sense that maybe they're not as what we would consider intelligent, but they definitely have again, this, this level of sentience and self-awareness to them that, you know, is also a part of a, a, another plot of the, uh, the Leia Brahms saga coming to a super cringy end. Uh, I, I, <laughs> that is one, one area where, where maybe you want to skip this episode because that <laughs> is awkward. <laughs> like, oh, Jordy, Jordy boy, <laughs> what you doing, man? <laughs> but anyway, um, so that one, that one definitely kind of gets me, uh, gets me thinking about what exactly we owe to the animals around us, um, and what we owe to the connections that we make in the, in this case, galaxy uh, that we travel. And so that kind of takes me to a quick triple C series bounce or season bounce um first one i really do think you have to go back and look at book saga in the latest uh season of discovery because definitely that's his mo is is recognizing the life and the sentience in other a uh, animals uh, shashank actually mentioned that it, it harkens to a a type of speculative fiction called afrofuturism which i have found super fascinating uh, i've read a part uh, uh, a little little bits on uh, afrofuturism now and it's actually taken me into more afro mysticism stuff uh, which is pretty interesting too so um yeah there's there's directions you can definitely take um going beyond that and it's nice to see star trek really trying to branch itself out and become um you know even more broad in its scope so book saga i think is super important and we haven't even seen the last of that i hope the i hope we get more of that definitely. next one next one would be uh the the brief and also somewhat uh, uh violent uh ripper saga in season one getting to understand again we have this monster of the week idea coming right, right at us in the first few episodes of discovery and actually it turns out to be a somewhat sentient being that is somewhat of a steward of an entire other sort of material reality that we sort of float on and i really think that that's really important to understand too it sort of reminds me of like if a bacterium could get really really big and say like hey there's a lot of plastic around us now maybe we could sort that out um you know, that might be sort of an idea of what I take, take from Ripper because he is sort of based on what the, what, what are they called? Tardigrade. Yeah. Tardigrade. But there's another cuter name for them. There's something bear, like a water bear. Water bear. Yeah. Which makes them sound the cutest thing in the universe. Um, a little water bear. Yeah. And that would be the noise they would make, Dan. Yes, that's right. <laughs> no. And the no. water bear goes. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'm losing and control the elderly the ostrich goes <laughs> <laughs> coconut what <laughs> anyway wow. and then and then finally uh picard and the androids obviously i think the 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 latest iterations of star trek has really pushed this idea of life outside of humanity uh and and what we what we are and what we are connected to and so i think that's kind of a neat way to wrap that piece up and then finally 
um, the, the, the last little bit there is taking it back to kind of where I think my first experience of what sentience is and isn't my, my first sort of philosophical discussion that came about with, uh, with this originally came from watching measure of a man. And that's where I would end it because I think that one is the, the true and definitive stamp, right. Uh, that, that Star Trek makes about, um, what it, uh, what it has to say about how we should be good neighbors, I think, in a, in a lot of ways, right? There there are animals around us all over the place all the time, and we interact with them even sort of indirectly, even if we don't know it. So I think being good neighbors is is a good way to think about it. And aside from Cisco um, destroying the uh, entire ecosystem of a planet to make Eddington blink... Um, mm-hmm. Typically, the Federation is pretty good about it, about trying to preserve life right. uh, and everything. Right. So that would be my mixtape. Wow. I think that's pretty fantastic. Dan, what do you think? That's, I, I mean, I, you could have had the dumb one go first because how am I supposed to, he's doing philosophical he things. Oh, that's right. You did. That's right. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was okay. Bill. It was excellent. And you know, I like how you wrapped it up with Measure of a Man because when you think about it, if you really want to look deep into it, Measure of a Man was the entire basis for Picard season one in my mind. If well, if not for that episode, Picard season yeah. one doesn't even happen. Nope. That's true. So I, I just I love that you wrapped it up with that, man. Well, Dan, that means the uh the the the, the show turns over to you as much you as we have all the Dan bad. for last. <laughs> <laughs> well except he's not last no um, uh, he's just oh, next yeah. that's all right that's okay yeah. the penultimate mixtape for this yes. episode comes from the lovely and talented yes i know that one. correct i know that yeah one. yeah I do. thank you thank you uh <laughs> that falls to the lovely and talented dan davidson yeah i i kind of went uh, i've been going dark with stuff lately i don't know why but Black when alert. we talked about Exactly. When we talked about doing these mixtapes, the first thing that popped into my head was addiction because Star Trek always takes um, things that are relevant to the time and is able to work it into stories. And then I started thinking, oh my gosh, there are so many different episodes that deal with forms of addiction. So that's my theme. Yay. Yeah, I mean, some people have a Trek geeks addiction, which we don't even want to talk about. Um, But uh, I'm going to start with uh, TNG season one, episode 22, and that's Symbiosis. It's written by uh, Richard Manning and Hans Beimler and directed by Wynn Phelps. Of course, this is the one with um, uh, the uh, gentleman who played uh, Khan's number one, uh, Merritt uh, Merritt Buttrick. Uh, um, No, he played Joaquin. He played Joaquin. No, he played David. I'm sorry. I'm just getting everybody screwed up. Yeah, he played David. Judson Scott played Sons number one. Right. Joaquin. And, and Merrick and Merritt Buttrick played, played David Marcus. David. So there's a whole bunch of Star Trek actors in this one. And of course, this is the one where one planet is supplying a drug called Felicium to another planet. And it's because they need it because of a plague. But then you find out that the plague's been done for a long time. And the only reason this planet is doing it is for making money. When you really, yeah. when it really comes down. So not only do you have to deal with an addiction with the Felicium, you're dealing with people taking advantage of people that are addicted. And I think that that was one of the strongest messages, you know, season one we've talked about, isn't really the greatest of seasons of star Trek. When you're talking TNG, this one might've had one of the strongest messages. I think Yep. that episode has a fantastic ending. Picard says, you know what? I, I don't, I don't have to help you. Yeah. You know, yeah. here, I'm going to take back all these repairs we made. So you mm-hmm. know what? You're right. I, I'm not supposed to insert myself. So you're on your own. 
Yep. And it's the look on, on the faces of the Felicium dealers mm-hmm. is like, you got to be kidding me. And that's what proved to me that Picard was really just going to be the man in this series. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Barry, one of the other things I liked is this is the episode where you get uh, uh, one of the uh, aliens doing the electric shock treatment on Picard, and he's got that famous look when he's getting <laughs> shocked. He's like, um, You mean Riker? Riker. What did I say? You said Picard? Picard. It's because you just said Picard, so you were putting words in my mouth. Anyway, Barry. <laughs> I, I I haven't seen this episode in a while, but it it I always think about um, how the United Kingdom treated Hong Kong. <laughs> nice one. That's it, Bill. Sorry. Uh, for those of you watching, uh, not, not for, for those of you not able to watch, uh, Bill just made the perfect Riker face. Um, it was a good one. It was, he's got the beard and everything. He does. Um, he does. But and, I, that, I, and that cocksure grin. Yeah, absolutely. I, I thought that that would be a good one to start off the addiction with. Um, other other ones uh, in this mixtape are, are, really, are really ones that I have enjoyed. I will say symbiosis isn't one of my favorite episodes, but it is one of the ones that has the strongest addiction themes. The next one that I went with um, was also from TNG and it's season three, episode 21. And that's hollow pursuits uh, written by Sally uh, Cavus and directed by Cliff Bull. And of course this is Barkley or broccoli, depending on what you want to go with and his hall addiction, because I like how they made an episode about addiction, about something that doesn't really exist, but still made it work for us as Star Trek fans to watch. I, I really, it was just on uh, BBC the other day and I had not put this in my list when I first started writing it. And as, of course, as soon as I started watching, I'm like, how could I not include hollow pursuits bill? You were the goddess of empathy. Hmm. Muzzle it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's such a, it's such a well done episode. Of course, Dwight Schultz is, is great uh, mm-hmm. as Barkley, uh, a character that I have plenty of problems with. Don't get me started. But this one's a great examination of, you know, not every person in Starfleet is going to be the hero who saves the day. Right. Not everybody in Starfleet is going to be um, uh, Riker or or Kirk or Spock or, or those. They're going to be average people with some really kind of average problems. And I, I really appreciated that aspect of this episode. And Barry, one of the things that I liked is, is Barkley, like Bill just said, he's a real person. He has real problems. He has relapses in this episode. Mm -hmm. He's going to therapy with Deanna. And then the next thing you know, he's supposed to be at a meeting and he's in the holodeck again with uh, representations of the crew. And I really think that that was an important part of the episode to show that you, that these people, even in the 24th century have issues like relapse. And entertainingly, I literally taught a class about addiction today at school. Like actually, oh, wow. Wow. I, I, I actually have the questions right here. Um, and <laughs> what you've just, what you've just said, like, um, you know, the question of is addiction a disease, right? First of all, uh, can there be chemical or behavioral addictions, right? When does something become addictive? Uh, typically, you know, why people get into addiction, uh, or get addicted to things is the thing that they get gives them an escape from something that is not, not helping them, right. That is not mm-hmm. doing good for them. It, it's a way of, uh, of managing. And I think, that was Barclay's original intention with using the uh, the hollow suite, right? It's an escape. It's a way to get away from something. But there right. is that threshold that it's hard to recognize when something goes from being a tool to a crutch. And that ultimately is what it becomes for him. It's so much so that, yeah, it's not an addictive thing like, say, nicotine or heroin or or whatnot. And to kind of quickly loop back, I, I just said about the United Kingdom treating Hong Kong that way. It was opium that they 
they were they were getting the people in Hong Kong addicted to. Gotcha. Anyways, back to what I'm saying with with uh, Barclay, you know, there's nothing necessarily chemical to what it is. It's a behavioral addiction, and people have that. I mean, to social media, um, to some degree, gambling can can fall under that, though it has more intense um, symptoms, I guess you could say, in the sense that it can make people literally broke. But um, things that are addictive. I typically like to turn around and say things that become addictive for a person typically are so good. They'll ruin their life. Right. Yeah. Like right. the hollow suite is so good. It would ruin my life. I wouldn't do anything. I, I would just run I, around all the time in cool places. I'll, I'll tell you what, I don't blame him. Um, you know, knowing what's sure. available in a, in a holodeck and what you can do in that escape that you can have. I find it interesting, Bill in hollow pursuit. The character of Barkley, he's, you know, he stutters and he's unsure of himself. But when he's in the holodeck, nobody's, nobody's stronger than he is. I mean, it's amazing the difference when you're in that fake made up world of the holodeck as to when he's in the real world. The difference is just unbelievable. Well, in a way, it's kind of comparable to social media today. People are all kinds of bold and fierce when they hide behind, you know, profiles that don't really tell the world who they are. Barkley doesn't have to relate to anybody real. There are no consequences. At the end of the day, he can just delete the program. And so that's probably the most empowering thing to him is that nothing he says can ever be held against him. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't have to remember any of it. Right. So uh, in a way, I think it's kind of analogous to what you see today on Twitter, on Facebook, you know, uh, on some of the other social media platforms, because people do the same exact thing. Yep. No, I, and that's a great analogy. I like that. Uh, the next one that I chose uh, is also from TNG, season five, episode six, and it's The Game, uh, written by Susan Sackett, Fred Bronson, Brandon Braga, and directed by Corey Allen. I have always loved this episode. A lot of people call it the big O episode for reasons which we won't get into right now, but this is a perfect example of addiction in Star Trek. And it's quick. It happens fast. Of course, the pleasure centers of the brain are included. So that's going to make it even faster. But this is a, this is a favorite of mine when you're talking about stories of addiction, Barry, for some reason, I don't know why (laughs) I'm on level 47. Oh gosh. (laughs) This actually, this episode, I, I have to say, like, if you were to ask me before we were in all of this context, I probably would have said I don't like this episode. And I think it is actually because, like, um, I wasted a lot of my childhood just playing video games and not doing my homework and not doing, you know, making connections with some people and and could have wound up down a pretty dark road if it wasn't for just some some of the right people at the right time coming mm-hmm. um, and and helping me through that because yeah, like I did, I do sort of see myself in that, that I can become enamored in certain tasks and things that have no intrinsic value and just sort of shine that pleasure center. It kind of reminds me of a study that was done. Um, I don't really think it was very humane speaking of sentience, but what happened was basically these zoologists um, fastened electrodes to the, these mice's brains where if they pressed a button, it would, it would open up the pleasure center and release dopamine. And these mice starved to death, all of them. Because yep. all they would do Double is they would, they would, they would yep. go try to do something else and they turn around and just push the button. You just see them suddenly yep. relax, you know? Yep. So this is a stressful episode because it does show that, that really, um, circumstances aside, we are all at risk of becoming addicted to something and we may be without even knowing it. Good point. That's, that, that's incredibly true. I'm, I'm at risk of being addicted to, to you, Barry. <laughs> <laughs> that's already happened to me. <laughs> 
I know. Well, the first yeah. one's free, Bill. <laughs> Tell all your means. friends. I, yeah. I, what what am I what am I giving you? My commodity. Tell me. I think that's for Trek Geeks after dark. That's oh, true. Oh, absolutely. Oh, right. Right. Now, now, Bill, I, I'm not. Sh- I don't remember what you what you rated this one when we did see it or skip it. I know, of course, you know Ashley Judd's in this, and it's a Wesley story, and we get some we get some interest an interesting alien of the week who's only there to give the game away and everything, and then it can be replicated, which is a little strange. But I've always liked the story of how if you do these, if you get addicted to things, you're not going to make the best decisions in your life, and this is a good example of that. It, it really is. I. I I'm looking it up now. I think I may have given this episode a skip it. Um, and rightfully so, because I just, I don't, I've never liked it. Oh, I've loved um, it. <laughs> largely because it's a Wesley saves the day episode. Wow. Um, and at this point we've already had more than enough of those. I mean, Wesley comes back <laughs> and they give him a Wesley saves the day episode. In fact, uh, I did say skip it. Um, okay. I said it was borderline though. This episode bores me and I just don't think it's written very well. I stand by that. Okay. Um, because I have a hard time believing that Riker would fall prey to something this dumb. <laughs> you know, that's but neither here nor there. But you're right about the addiction portion of this at the center of it. Everybody tries it. Everybody has the big O, um, which for once to, on that ship doesn't involve the holodeck, which is <laughs> right. True. Um, and I, I can see why they keep doing it repeatedly, just like Barry's mention of the experiment with the mice. And I'm pretty sure the same thing would happen in this case, were it not for uh, the, the super Wesley Crusher yeah. and the sister of the uh, of the Jets. Ro- yeah, uh, um, Robin Leffler. Robin Leffler. It's yeah. and, and this goes to show how dangerous something that's addictive can be, because when we see that scene where Picard turns around in his chair in his ready room and puts it on, you're like, oh boy, this is bad. Um, yeah. so I think that's, that's, I thought that this was, a, this was another good, um, example for the theme of addiction, uh, going to jump over to deep space nine now. And of course, one that I think both of you will definitely agree with, and that's deep space nine season two, episode 22, the wire yeah. written by Robert Hewitt Wolf and directed by Kim Friedman, probably the best episode of season two. This is a great episode to see the long lasting effects that can be damaging when you're addicted to something the way Garrick was with that implant that released the uh, endorphins um, when it was put in by the Obsidian Order. Bill, I know that you've talked about this a lot, that this is one of your favorite Deep Space Nine episodes. Yeah, hands down, it's it's among you know the best of all of them. And of course, Andy Robinson just is everything about this episode, both he and Sid. You know, it's it's really a tour de force by both of them. Yeah. I really appreciate the quality that, you know, Garrick has just left it there. Um, because it helped him deal with life every day on that effing station. Mm-hmm. And, and that's essentially what it boils down to is the only way he could self-medicate to get through that experience. And so I think this is a great inclusion on your list. Barry, what about you? I don't, I don't think I've ever really ever talked to you in regards to the wire. I know that you said that you've liked it, but do you have any specific thoughts on what you thought? What was good? If there could be something good about what we saw in this episode with Garrick's addiction. I think when we when we look at addiction, we need to understand that there are a lot of people with manageable addictions, that there are people who manage an addiction, uh, whatever that yeah. might be, and why they are utilizing that uh, addictive substance, whatever it might be, um, they are using it to give themselves some time to breathe, some time for space, some some time to... Um, 
get away from the things that are dogging them. And I would say, you know, n- number one, you, you know, psychology, psychologists talk to people, get get help, right? Get get help from people you know who will empower you to do the right thing and, and be able to manage that addiction in a way that is healthy. And, and for some people, that management is leaving that substance altogether, right? Um, I, I was fortunate to meet a former teacher of mine who... Uh, um, we met, I was now a teacher as well. And and that teacher had told me that while they were teaching me, they were struggling with alcoholism and I would oh, wow. have never, I would have never known it. Cause I was like, Hey, yeah. let's go for, let's go grab a pint. And that yep. person was like, uh, no, I'm an alcoholic. And I'm like, Oh my goodness. They're like, I haven't drank in, you know, 25 years, but I was. And yep. It was it was a profound moment to understand that that person was coming to school every day and teaching me and keep keeping care of me. And that scares like, oh, well, there's an alcoholic teaching at school. You know, there's a lot of alcoholics everywhere. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of people who are addicted to even substances that aren't necessarily addictive chemically, like, say, cannabis. Right. That can that can create the, right. much like I think where Garrick is at is he reminds me of a person who would just like, you know, probably hit a, a big joint or something at the end of the day. But, you know, even someone like that, that becomes something that that it, at first it's a pathway, but it eventually becomes a highway in your brain. And without that, it's going to cause a lot of problems. And so I think really we need to look at addiction more as a way of management and how do people manage their addictions and how can we support people in making sure that their needs are met so that they can properly manage that addiction? Because only then is, does it become dangerous. I think this episode is a great example of how people can change in the way that they are with those that they are closest to because of an addiction. Yeah. I mean, you would never expect, I mean, the friendship between Garrick and, and, and Dr. Bashir is a very strong and deep one, even as early as season two. Um, but the way that he acts and lashes out at the doctor when he's going through these withdrawals is really, is really powerful. Oh, it absolutely is. I mean, yeah. I think that that's really what makes this episode so clutch for Deep Space Nine. I mean, it could just be a story about having a, an implant in your head that's going to kill him eventually. But it's it's the the drama between the two characters and the closeness that comes before and after this experience that I think really sets it apart. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It, it reinforces the deep water that is Garrick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it really does. Um, speaking of Dr. Bashir that I mentioned a moment ago, my next choice uh, for the addiction theme is uh, Deep Space Nine Season 4, Episode 3. Another one of my favorites, it's Hippocratic Oath, written by Nicholas Correa and Lisa Klink and directed by the late, great Rene Aubergenois. Hmm. Uh, and of course, this is the non-addiction that Garanagar has to Ketracel White and that he wants all the other troops under his command uh, of the Jem'Hadar to be free of. Now, uh, Garanagar is played by Scott McDonald, who has a very special connection with me and Tosk. So um, having him in this episode dealing with uh, addiction um, is really quite powerful. And I think what I like about this episode so much is it shows Dr. Bashir and the level that the, the what he's willing to do to help someone from a medical standpoint, even though they are technically the enemy. I thought that was a really great storyline, Bill. Uh, same here. It's, it's probably one of my favorite Bashir episodes of all time, mm-hmm. simply yeah. because of the conflict it creates, not just between Bashir and the Jim Hadar, but also with Bashir and O'Brien. Brian, yeah. Um, this really tests their friendship and it puts it on very uncertain ground. And so for me, 
Um, I, I think that it's a far reaching episode because we learned so much about the Dominion, about the Gem Hadar, about Ketracel White. Mm-hmm. We learned about what Julian is willing to do and how seriously he takes his oath as a medical professional. And we learned that O'Brien is pretty much a Starfleet as Starfleet guts. <laughs> you know, his job is to yeah. get Bashir out of there and he takes that very seriously. So, yep. Yep. Barry, what do you think about that one? I haven't, I have again, I haven't seen uh, that episode since my last rewatch, but I would say the number one thing about the Jem'Hadar overall that just makes me um, really dislike the, the Dominion as like, I think they are the most unredeemable of bad guys in <laughs> like in Deep Space Nine in Star Trek itself. They are, they are seriously unredeemable in the sense that they have taken an entire species and completely re-engineered it to meet their needs. And how do they, how do they reinforce that? What do they use? An addictive substance. And I think that also points out the idea that, that, you know, there have been cases in the past where humanity has used addictive substances to control the lives of other human beings. And, and, you know, to, to think that you can see addiction as something that it's exploitable, shame on you, right? Like the, that is, that is a, a reprehensible thing and kind of goes to the idea of my sentience uh, playlist. You know what we made, we would, that was like a, a, a like a connected playlist there, Dan. Think about it. Yeah, it really was. It, it really yeah. is. I like that. There you go. There's, a little, there's our little connection. Cool. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we're connected. I like it. Um, anyway, but yeah, addiction is exploitable, and if it is, yeah. um, it is, you know, what do you do to those people? Because a person who is addicted is ultimately vulnerable. And the Jem'Hadar are the most mighty and evil warrior race mm-hmm. that 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 you know fight and all this sort of stuff. But actually, they're they're extremely feeble. They're extremely yep. fragile. Yep, because of it, and and it's it's exploited. It sucks. And you and you see how feeble they really are when they're going through the withdrawals. Yeah. All one of the Jem'Hadar soldiers came and tapped one on the shoulder, and the guy crumpled. Yeah. Um, and I mean, you, you know, you said the, the, the founders just in the way that they were able to genetically alter these people to be their cannon fodder and their soldiers, uh, and, and have them addicted to this is really maniacal and ingenious at the same time for the writers. I was, oh, it yeah. always it surprises me how sometimes the most heinous and awful things that you see in TV and movies are some of the most amazing writing. I use saw as an example, the saw movies, some of the scenes in those tour in the, in that move, those movies are just absolutely horrendous, but somebody thought of them and it's really ingenious <laughs> when you think of it. it. Disturbing is a perfect word. And, and you got to kind of think the same thing with what the uh, dominion, uh, what the founders did with the, uh, with the Jem'Hadar. At least they didn't anyway. film it. <laughs> that's, uh, that's why saw, I can't do saw <laughs> that you know of. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so after DS9, I did want to throw this one in, and I am going to say I am not as familiar with this one as I should be because I haven't seen it in so long. But Enterprise also dealt with addiction. Um, so I picked out Enterprise Season 3, Episode 19, Damage, written by Phyllis Strong and directed by James Conway. And this is the episode where we find out that T'Pol had been addicted to Trillium D for several months. I, and I really feel bad that I, I didn't do enough homework before recording tonight of what the, I th- didn't it have to do with that mind meld episode that she had, or was it something else, Bill? I, fortunately, I can't remember off the top. Of my I think head. this is the one where she gets in the EV suit to get some Trillium D and is almost, you know, gravely injured in the process, mm-hmm. um, because their supply has been cut off 
and she's since become addicted to it. That's that's yes. I haven't seen it in a while, but that's if memory serves. That's the one you're thinking of. And and I think it also has to do uh, her effects of being addicted to this. She's more emotional than Vulcans normally would be, and it's going to be a side effect that she will have for the rest of her life. Is she's more emotionally unstable than she than a a quote unquote air quotes normal Vulcan would be, and it it's something that she really has trouble accepting. And Flocks helps her with that. Yes, Barry, what do you think? Well, now that you completely rejogged my epi- uh, memory of an episode <laughs> I did not remember, I'm like, what is what? T'Pol was addicted to what? Uh, what? Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. So um, again, yeah, this that this is definitely going to merit a rewatch for me. But I guess it underscores the 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 jerkiness that uh, if you just peel it off very very bit, that the mask comes off and and Vulcans turn out to be extremely emotionally fragile, right? I guess maybe mm-hmm. that's where the the Vulcans and the Jem Hadar have something in common is they have right. these great sort of fronts of strength, but there's a lot of fragility and a lot of vulnerability behind it. Yep, absolutely. So guys, the last thing I had for my theme um, was basically all of Picard season one, whenever you're dealing with Raffi. Yeah. Love the character yeah. of Raffi. She is a recovering addict of alcohol and other drugs that we don't, I, I know that we see her smoking some things and there's some plants in her, at her, in her house uh, underneath Vasquez rocks that, that she's smoking. And we see her struggling through the season. We see her dealing with um, the fallout with her son. And I think it was in Stardust City Rag, if I'm not mistaken, uh, where he where she meets up with him and that doesn't go well. She goes on a wicked bender at one point and the crew actually, in my mind, takes advantage of that um, when they're trying to get access to uh, the artifact. Um, and she can she contacts a friend of hers when she's in a really bad state. I think Picard does a wonderful job of portraying someone who is dealing with addiction and the after effects of addiction in a real human way. A lot of times in Star Trek, it's done in a way that, you know, science fiction, hall addiction, for for an example, Picard does a lot of things in its first season dealing with real issues and real feelings. And I think this Rafi's addiction is the strongest thing of all of them with Picard season one. Barry, what do you I, think? We've got a, ah. <laughs> we've got a, uh, if you want to go ahead, Bill. We, uh, okay. No, no, please. We've got a, a really good example of someone managing an addiction there, right? Uh, she yeah. is still functional. And, and as long as she can sort of work through that. And again, like she is in a society where I still presume everyone's material needs are met with like re- replicator technology and everything yeah. like that. She, she'll never go hungry. She'll never not have a roof over her head, which is extremely fortunate because most people, um, in, in, you know, precarious situations or who are unhoused sometimes are also dealing with or having someone in their life who is dealing with an addiction as well. But, but don't on some level you feel that that's not the case that we see that in Picard? We always think of Starfleet and the Federation as everybody's taken care of. Yeah. It's this utopia. It's unicorns and rainbows. We see her living in the desert. Yeah. Looks like she's not doing too great. She's obviously got emotional problems. She's not in Starfleet anymore. And it doesn't look like she's living a very comfortable life that we normally see in the Star Trek universe. And that's one of the things that I liked about yeah. season one was that they did depict this. Yeah. And I think well, also, the- oh, sorry, go ahead, Bill. Well, and the thing about that situation is that she spirals because she's let down, not just by Starfleet, but by Picard himself. Right. So it says that, yeah, there's unicorns, there's show puppies, there's, there's horses and ponies, but 
people can still fall through the cracks. No society is perfect. Mm -hmm. And that means you just have to work even harder to catch those people who need that help at that time. Um, and that's why I think Rafi Musiker is such a great character. Yeah, I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens with her character. We saw sparks of positivity at the end of season one with her look like budding relationship uh, with Annika slash seven, whatever you want to call her these days. Um, yeah. So, uh, but I really, I really appreciated how um, th- her issues were shown in season one. Uh, and that kind of wraps up my whole addiction theme, guys. I think it also is a well, humanity theme. Yeah, it absolutely is. Wow, I like that. Okay. All the way through. Well, I'm going to breeze through my sort of bonus playlist because I know we're running along this episode, but um, I created a list called Hitch a Ride. And that's because it seems like in TOS and in TNG, there's a bunch of episodes where there are passengers aboard the Enterprise who aren't quite what they appear to be. And let me give you some examples. Okay. So right off the bat from the original series, you've got season one, episode two. Charlie X. It's kind of the first uh, real creepy godlike kid that they meet who doesn't understand a lot of stuff. And they go, ah, here you go, Kirk, take care of this. Um, they think he's just a kid and little do they know he's <laughs> a really big amount of trouble. It's kind of like you. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> uh, next on that list is another season one TOS episode, The Conscience of the King. So the Enterprise is ferrying a group of traveling actors, one of whom could be a mass murdering dictator from the past. Who knew? Yeah. And then sticking with TOS, we're going to jump forward exactly two seasons to season three, episode 13, and Alon of Troyes. Spoiled brat of a ruler controls <laughs> Kirk with her alien tears. Who knew? Dad, who knew? <laughs> who knew? Alon of and Troyes. Then, I've got a boatload of episodes from next gen where this trope is just continued on. Oh yeah. Uh, starting with season one, episode five, where no man has gone before. I'm uh, sorry. Where no one has gone before. I can't stand the traveler, but he fits this mixtape. So he's in there. Little lobster traveler. And he is hitching. Oh, a ride. Yeah. But he takes, he takes the enterprise on a ride too. He does. And that's yeah. really kind of one of the unexpected parts. I think the traveler is boring. I'm glad oh, he didn't get off. data. He's the best. Yeah. You're fired. Uh, and then, of course, we got season one, episode 12, data lore. You get the old evil twin trope. When they dun, bring dun, lore dun. aboard, they've got no idea how bad he is. And he shows them in short order. The only shame is that he doesn't fry Wesley with the phaser like he says he's going to. <laughs> um, season two, episode one, next gen, the child. So uh, Deanna is pregnant with an alien baby and nobody on this ship freaks out. Am I getting this right? That's because it's Pulaski. She doesn't care. <laughs> well, but you think, well, the only thing Riker's like, I'm not the father. What the hell? Yep. Who, who's the father, Dina? <laughs> he's well, like, he's like a startled bird. He's like, wait, what, what happened here? <laughs> <laughs> wait, she, somebody else? What do you mean? There's only a thousand people on the ship. So um, there's that one. Also season two, episode 10, the Dauphin, where Wesley falls in love with a shape-shifting alien. I can't stand that episode, but it Ugh. fits my mixtape. It does. Fix it well. Um, and then there's a triple play in this episode, too. Ooh. So in season three, there are three episodes which are unrelated, back to back to back, which all have to deal with passengers who are not what they appear. It starts off with season three, episode nine, The Vengeance Factor, where a really old woman who looks really hot to Riker, 
makes him Partha's ala Utah, and she wants to kill some dude from a longstanding blood feud. (laughs) And then after that, you get the defector. Yes. Where you get a Romulan defector who is not at all what we think. And of course, James Sloyan. Yes, sir. Not my stars. Oh, I love that line. Uh, one of my favorite TNG episodes of all time. And Dan, yep. one of our favorite guest actors of Absolutely. all time. Absolutely. Yep. He's fantastic. And then I wrap that up with season three, episode 11, The Hunted. The Enterprise helps find an escaped prisoner who happens to turn out to be a super soldier Ta-da. that this government unleashed and then didn't know what to do with. So that is my 10 episode hitch a ride list with uh, passengers who were not what they seem to be Barry. What do you think? Absolutely brilliant. And what a load of fun. Um, you could even kind of throw journey to Babel into there too. Um, yeah. With, with the assassin. Mm-hmm. And I'm on deck five. Deck I'm five on a Darian. <laughs> <laughs> Security. Security. Security alert. I've lost Captain my toupee and girdle and can't leave my room. Captain. <laughs> That's another MST three K. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh. Dan, what do you think? It hit your ride. I love it, man. I think it's great. And I, I, I I have no recollection of the first of that uh, triple play with the Riker one. I'd completely forgotten about that one, but I didn't know that those three were back to back to back. That's amazing. Yeah, they're and, nine, ten, and eleven. And, and I'll tell two. you what, the anything with Sloyan is 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 awesome. But this one or Jatrell might be two one of the top two uh, appearances he had in Star Trek. I thought about working in some Voyager to this one, but I mean, that trope really just happens on the Enterprise far too often. Yeah, it does. That you yeah. really could limit yourself to those two series, TOS and TNG, and and have just a, a weekend-long marathon if you really yeah. planned it out. Right. Throw in absolutely. the perfect mate, too. Uh, absolutely. Oh, wow, yeah, another yeah. one. Good one, dude. Yeah. So those are our ideas for Star Trek mixtapes. You may have your own. Head on out to trekgeeks.com slash contact and you can send them to us. Our lists will be in the episode post on trekgeeks.com for episode number 253. Barry, so good to see your face and hear your voice. Thank you so much for joining us. Where can listeners find you on the medias that are social? You can find me at Polytrex. Uh, I am on intermittently and I'm starting to try to build a, a little bit more there. And my brother in Trek, Shashank, is jumping in and out there a little bit too. Um, I'm not really anywhere else specifically on uh, on the, the Twitter spheres um, in a public sense. I, I sort of keep a certain amount of folk on there. But uh, I don't know. I might be phasing out some of my social medias uh, to some degree. So you may not find me very much in all of the places. But uh, it has to do with how we manage things right as we've mentioned before there you go. I, I found social media to be a, a, a place where i just ended up in a doom scrolling kind of place and uh, yep mm-hmm. ugh, can't Agreed. really do it so yeah well now you have a series of, of mixtapes you can watch to uh <laughs> to keep from doom scrolling and you can avoid dan at the same time it's the best <laughs> You can try to avoid me, but it's not going to happen all the time and forever, man. It is great to see you. I, I got to say, Bill said that you were going to join us, and I was ecstatic. It's been far too long, and uh, and always love having you on every anytime you want, buddy. You're invited. We'll kick him off if we don't have the room or the bandwidth, uh, and it'll just be <laughs> me and you if need be. So we're good. Always a pleasure, gentlemen, and mad shout out to all the fine folks at Camp Kittimer. Love y'all. Well, you know, Dan, if I were going to create a mixtape of Star Trek stuff, an actual mixtape, it's going to be all five-year mission music because, I mean, what an amazing way to look at some of these Star Trek episodes. Of course, they are writing one song for every episode of the original series, and these are not parodies. These are Mm -hmm. 
real compositions that help you look at Star Trek episodes in a completely different way. So we want everyone to head out to fiveyearmission.net, get all their albums sent to you, get those CDs in your hand. We love physical media. We swear you're going to become a huge fan of Five Year Mission and check out their podcast right here on the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. Uh, you're going to love that too. I mean, just get all the five YM in your life that you can because you're going to love it. You are going to love it. And the songs make you think. Like you said, they're not parodies. They make you think about the episodes that they're that they're singing about and they're fantastic. You know what else is fantastic, buddy? Your face? Uh, you know what else is fantastic, buddy? No. <laughs> is Lower Decks. What an amazing yeah. season of Lower Great Decks. Show. From start to finish, it was just awesome. And man, that finale, Boimler's gonna uh, going for a transfer. Tendi welcomes Peanut Hamper, and then Peanut Hamper wants to let them all die. And spoiler alert: Yeah, Shaq. Well, it's been a long time. Shaqs and Rutherford go on a dangerous away mission, and and one of them isn't gonna return. And it's all become the, because the dumbest alien musicians in the galaxy have built a terrible warship to try and force others to listen to their songs. They are smart. They make things go. Well, that is until Riker and the Titans show up and kick some drummer butt. It is the amazing season finale of Lower Deck Season 1. Check it out. No small farks. You can see it on Paramount Plus and available soon on DVD. I thought you were going to risk a lawsuit and call them the Farkleds. See, that's why I do the Farkisms and you don't. No, because that one was terrible. <laughs> what, what, what one aren't in your mind? What one what, aren't? What one aren't? <laughs> I think we've discovered our problem with the Farkisms right there. It's because the person writing them barely speaks English and it's his native tongue. <laughs> anyway, no small farks. Fiveyearmission.net. Please go get all their albums and add Five Year Mission, the podcast, to your favorite podcast app today. Of course, don't forget you too can support the Trek Geeks Podcast Network by subscribing to us on Patreon, where you can get some really cool exclusive perks, Dan. Yeah, that's right. We have shirts from our local friends at Mint Print Printworks here in Southern New Hampshire. We have exclusive Patreon pins from our dear friends at Fansets. And Bill and I are hard at work right now coming up with some new perks, which we will be announcing very soon. And trust me, you're going to love them. But right now, we want to take a moment to thank our associate producers for Trek Geeks. We are so grateful for their support. And they are Vikram Bhatt, Luke Burnham, Brad DeMag, William Edward M. Jr., Patrick Escudero, Brandon Everidge, Andy Fark, Kimberly Francis, Jonathan Hamilton, Ryan Jeffs, John Krikorian, Sean Lynn, Jamie McGregor, Aaron Mollenkoff, Casey Pettit, Tim Robertson, Greg Rozier, Eric Sakian, Adam Sanders, Tim Serdar, Heather Sohn, Blake Strike, Lisa Tomlinson, Jessica Dax Vincent, Ron Robel, and the gracious and wonderful Conrad Hutchins. You just, you didn't really, did you? I did. I, it's it's St. Patrick's Day. I had to throw it in there. Yeah, a little bit. That wasn't good. I'm not going to say it was good. I would never, you know, presume that it was good, but had to throw it in there for him. You know, Conrad deserves better than that. You got to give him an Arnold. And the lot of the gracious and wonderful Conrad Hutchins. I don't even that's know what much. that was. But I, I don't even know what that was either. That's uh, I, of course I didn't say what Arnold. You could have done Arnold from Happy Days. There you go. <laughs> don't do that. Which which one? Don't do that. Okay. Uh, of course, we want to thank our Trek Geeks producers for their support. They are. Mike Bovia, Chaz Bradshaw, Kyle Castillo, Peter Craig, Craig Ewing, Jackie and Chris Hackney, Kimberly Hartman, David Hood, Lionel Marchand, Rick Mason, Matt McGonigal, Jim McMahon, Darren Metcalf, Charlie Mulvey, Sean O'Halloran, Jamie Rogers, Casey Shasky, Chris Trebuzio, Ken Tripp, Christina Werther, and the lovely and talented Jess Fashon. 
The senior producer of Trek Geeks is the ever-amazing Jude Tatman. You too can become a producer on the Trek Geeks Podcast Network, and it is so easy to do. Head on over to patreon.com slash trekgeeks for all the details. That's right. I said ever-amazing. Write that down, Jude. <laughs> of course, Dan, <laughs> next week, we're going to continue our year-long celebration of Enterprise 20 with a deep dive into what some fans have called a controversial episode from season one. Yeah, some may say that, man, but I don't really think that's the case. The writers did a great job of keeping these familiar-looking aliens a secret so it didn't spoil temporal canon. Yes, we're going to deep dive into an episode that has a new race of aliens commandeering the Enterprise as they look for profit. (laughs) Sound familiar? (laughs) Well, we're going to discuss episode, uh, uh, let's see, episode episode 19, I think is what it is, of season one of Enterprise, Acquisition. (laughs) And it's going to be an in-depth discussion next week on Trek Geeks, the flagship of the Trek Geeks podcast network. You're making me laugh too much. I, I didn't do anything. Yeah, just your face. I wasn't doing the Samba or anything. I just <laughs> you, you just cannot read. I, I really can't. You know what I do is I jump, I jump the word ahead and sometimes it bites me. <laughs> yeah, big time, like a great white shark. Of course, for more great Star Trek discussion, we want everyone to check out our other member podcasts on the network. In addition to Discovering Trek, Rewind, Pilot Treks, Five Year Mission, Deep Space Pride, and Infinite Trek, we are proud to bring you the Sci Fi Sisters as the latest addition to the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. They truly are amazing. And we honestly hope you'll check out their podcast dropping fortnightly on Fridays. Dan, what does that mean? It means every f- night that you want to go in the fort. That's it. Night. Yeah. Or every or two weeks, twice. depending on how you yes. look at it. <laughs> of course, you can find all our podcasts, including Word Listen, by visiting trekgeeks.com slash listen. The Trek Geeks Podcast Network. No one talks Trek like we do. And naturally, nobody talks Trek like Dan Davidson, because that's <laughs> unintelligible. For all the news on all the Star Trek show, please visit our great friends at treknews.net. Live long and prosper, everybody. Coca Trek. I'm sorry, I need a judge's ruling on this. Exactly. Coca-Trek? Coca-Trek. Yeah. My Trek talk is is unintelligible, as you just said, so I kind of mixed it up a little bit. It is the mixtape episode, after all. I love how you can back yourself into any logic. And it works. And you love it. No, it doesn't doesn't work at all. Get off my phone. (laughs) Music for Trek Geeks is provided by Five Year Mission. They're writing an original song for each episode of Star Trek. Hear more of their music at fiveyearmission.net. Trek Geeks is a production of Coconut Media Works, executive producers Bill Smith and Dan Davidson. For more great Star Trek discussion, discover the other shows of the Trek Geeks podcast network at trekgeeks.com or find us in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. What? What do you want? Hi. Bing Nothing bong. now. Oh, here we go. NPR time. All right. Uh, this hasn't run its course for, uh, what are we on? If so, 250 something, and it's probably been like 150 episodes. You've done that. Hello, Dan. <laughs>
Welcome to this week's episode of Trek Geeks, a Star Trek podcast. I'm your co-host, Bill Smith, and today we have a, a wonderful topic to dissect here on Trek NPR. Um, we're going to discuss um, rewatches of Star Trek through a fairly interesting and, and jocular lens, Dan. I hope that the conversation is better than what I just had to endure for the last like 70 seconds. I don't know what you're 71, talking about. 72. I'm amazed you can count that high. <laughs> so I quite, I, I, 1701 I can go up to actually. No, you can't. It, no, it I doesn't don't. go zero one seven oh one. Oh, I thought that's what it was all about. I just, I go zero and I draw an arrow one seven oh one and then I've counted to it. Huh? How you doing, pal? I'm doing great. Oh dude. God. <laughs> now you have to appreciate Trek NPR because it's the birth of coconut back yes, from episode 15. That, that's true. That's a long time ago. That's six years. And it's lasted this long. And I, I don't even know why. <laughs> Bill. Because you were a stupid idiot and broke out into song <laughs> over coconut. Yep. <laughs> coconut. coconut. I'm a coconut. Cookie. I still remember it. I haven't listened to it since back then, but I don't believe that for a second. I haven't. I probably have not listened to that specific one in at least five and a half years. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess I shouldn't be surprised because it's not like you were doing do, do, do. <laughs> I keep walking right into them. <laughs> a toying. Bang, rake. Anyway, uh, how uh, it's, it's amazing to me that uh, last Thursday, less than a week ago, it was 75 degrees here in Southern New Hampshire. Yeah. And then on Monday, it was 18. <laughs> it really was. And now today, yeah. it's like, it's like 55 out. Yeah, I know. It's just crazy. But at least we're not like Lou, you know, had 65 degrees and then all oh, two feet of snow. <laughs> at least it's not here. We got bare grass or bare ground, no snow in my yard anywhere at all. And I love that. So Lou from Fansets posts a photo of him shoveling his driveway. <laughs> and I want to dissect it. Yes. Because... They got two feet of snow in the Denver area. Um, he's out there wearing, he's not wearing a winter jacket. He's not wearing a winter hat. He's not wearing pants. He's got shorts on, mm -hmm. but he's wearing winter gloves. Well, you know, got to keep the circulation strong. What the, <laughs> maybe it was like 60 again. I don't know. Uh, well, theoretically in Denver, it could have all melted by now because it's Wednesday. Right. Um, and it could, you know, maybe his shovel wasn't a very good one and there were possibilities of splinters and he was just protecting those, those soft nimble hands idiot? of his. I don't know. It's, uh, just trying to, just trying to, you know, Lou, my bud. Are you I, an idiot? Hi, Lou. Um, I am. Uh, well, you, come on. What kind of question is that? Of course. It's so. one, of, one I'm hoping you'll own up to. And now that you did, I, I don't know what to do. <laughs> it's, it's, I just surprised you left and right this week, huh? You are you know, a study I don't, you know, of I don't contrasts. Know left, which I always say right when I mean left and left when I mean right, but that's neither here nor there. You can't go that fast. You're confusing me. <laughs> that's good. Mission accomplished. You think I need someone to tell me I turn left when I should turn right? I do that all the time. I just pulled out a song reference. Star Trek. No, it's Star yeah, Trek 5. Oh, yeah. yeah. So I thought yeah. it was going to be a song because you, you're very good at pulling out song lyrics out of your butt. It's very good. That's true, but it's rare that I pull out a quote that you don't correct. Uh, true. So congratulations. Well, it's from Star Trek V, so what do you expect? Oh, Always an excuse for you. <laughs> it's not an excuse when it's fact. No. No, it's not a fact. 
Um, I know you love Star Trek Five. Actually, I do love Star Trek Five. It's so good. Ooh. You love Nemesis? <laughs> no, no, I no, no, I don't. Nope, no, uh, uh-uh. uh, nope. Sorry. And you, yep. I love Nemesis like you love Generations. So let's just be quiet. Me thinks you doth protest too much. <laughs> what you drinking? Uh, Duncan's blueberry iced coffee. Blueberry. Mm-hmm. Blueberry. I had an Irish cream Duncan's iced coffee. I, I've pretty much sworn off Duncan's, but I just felt like one today because yeah. I've been drinking Starbucks yeah. um, cold brew and yeah. it's, it's, it's 10 times better. So, yeah. well, it's also 10 times the price, but that's just me. <laughs> Not these days. <laughs> really? What a, a large iced coffee from Duncan's is like what, 350 before tax? Well, I don't know. I don't get a large. I get a medium. Really? Yeah. I get medium. I never get a large coffee. Well, even then, it's uh, medium is like what, three bucks with tax? 230, I think. Something like that. No, is that like 15 years ago? <laughs> uh, I mean, you go to the wrong Duncan's then, my friend. <clears throat> Actually, I can look at my app. You I won't probably do that could. Now. I don't want to borrow. I don't want to bother people with that, you know, boringness, but I'm going to do it anyway. Why not? Everything else that comes out of your mouth is boring. <laughs> <laughs> You're a funny man. Hello, Mr. funny man. Mr. Funny Man. <laughs> Have you watched Coming to America 2? Nope. I, I wasn't sure. I, I'm kind of scared too, to be honest. I mean, I want it to be good, but I just know it probably isn't going to be. <laughs> so, yeah. Thanks for that on-the-spot movie review, Dan Davidson. I've, Much I've, appreciated. I think it's funny that when they show a commercial on TV and the one quote they have about how much fun it is and it's a rip-roaring good time or whatever it is they say is by one reviewer who you've never heard of ever anywhere. It's from like some guy in Southern Antarctica writing a <laughs> review for the movie. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm a little scared. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they don't have internet in Southern Antarctica. It's, you know, you never know these days. You know, modems. <laughs> Car- carrier pigeon. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's a possibility, right? I like your I like your uh, fleece jacket today. Thank you. It's very nice. It's got a very nice logo on it. <laughs> Truck geeks. By the way, a medium iced coffee at Dunkin' Donuts with tax two ninety three. Two ninety three. Is it which just is that average or is that at a particular store? That's their average. Okay. Um, I don't. Yeah, I don't even know. It's somewhere, in that, it's somewhere <laughs> in that that area, pretty much all the time. Okay. All right. Well, I stand corrected. It happens. All right. I just I just have them scan my phone and I'm done. I don't care how much it is. I drink it. it tastes good. Well, yeah. I, I'm going to debate you on the good part. I'm a, I don't I don't mind it. I'm all right with it. I love we coffee. Have Starbucks. We have like Starbucks chemicals. once a year. We have Starbucks and that's a Christmas. We'll get a flavored one once a year. That's all we do. I have one that uh, that you might like um at, at some point. Uh, yeah, I'm really. pretty sure you dig it. All right. Are you going to tell me what it is? No. <laughs> I was going to show up with it one day. Oh, God. Who knows what you're going to put in it? That's the real real danger. Are you ready to do this, Lidrick? <laughs> I certainly am, man. As always, it's been fun. <laughs> yeah, it's been. 